Sometimes we, we, we struggle to see what God is, is doing, but I just want to be, encourage each and every one of us, God is at work amongst us. And it can sometimes feel like it's slower than we want it to be, but God is at work amongst us. Do you believe that? Can I, I'm, look, I'm trying to draw something from you. It's a real sense of God, but just draw something from you. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to, I want to lift your spirits I want you to go out of this place believing and knowing that God is with you and that, that, that with God you can do anything. And, uh, you know, and like I said, even though it might seem like the progress isn't as swift as you want it to be, God is on your side. He is building his church. He is helping you at every turn of your life. Just talking to Nathan about job and, you know, Nathan, God is with you. God is for you. God will lead you. God will show you. Now, those who are looking for jobs, those who are looking for partners, those who are looking for a change of job, those who are looking for a change of direction, God is with you. God is for you. Those who are looking to build the church, Stephen and Alini, and leading the work here, God, God is with you. God is, God is with us. God is for us. God is going to help us. God is going to continue to help us. Do we believe that in Jesus' name? And part of the challenge to us if we're going to see all that God wants to do in us is that we need to be a Jesus follower. This is the series of the the few weeks about being a Jesus follower. And what we've endeavored to do is just craft a, a, you know, a short series of five or six weeks that just really lay in some principles of what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Because there is an eclectic mix of thoughts and philosophy about, around what truly is a Jesus follower. Some is mixed with utter tradition and religiousness. And then others is mixed with complete liberalism. And it's not rooted in the Bible. And neither is the traditional side. What we've sought to do is just craft something that's biblically rooted, that uh, is, is workable, that's, that's livable through the power of the Spirit, And this Jesus Follower series will hopefully equip each and every one of us, myself included, to to live a life that glorifies him and to live a life that impacts the world. Because Jesus called people not to just come and live a safe life. He called people to come and follow him that they would become people who would influence and impact the world. That That is the message of the gospel God, the God redeems a life, so then we will take on that redeemed life, and that we will then, through the power of the Spirit, go and redeem other lives in Jesus' name. The gospel was never meant to stay with you guys. You know that, don't you? It was never meant to stay in the confines of this building. It was meant so that you would receive Jesus, and as Margaret's going to Australia, she would take Jesus to Australia. When you go to your workplace tomorrow, you will take Jesus to your workplace. As you go to school, you will take Jesus to your school, to your college, to the campus, to the university. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. And uh, yeah, because I actually think I'm preaching better than you're responding tonight. But anyway, I'll keep going. Okay. And this is the whole essence of what Jesus has called us to. So we've looked at how do we become a Jesus follower in our everyday normal life, and what does that look like? We've looked at, Stephen looked at Jesus following how we live a life of obedience. The massive thing that is, obedience. I come across many, many disobedient, not children, very, very many disobedient adults. 
who don't live according to this book. And God calls us to live according to this book out of obedience. Phil had the unenviable task of addressing Jesus' follow, followership with our morality and how we live out and with regards to our sexuality and some of those things. And it's my joy to just touch on the whole thought of how do we follow Jesus with our worship. Now you'll be pleased to know I'm not addressing worship as in the songs that we sing. I'm not going to get you all and we're going to go through a practice of singing songs in readiness for Christmas. You'll be glad to know. I'm not going to be the choir master tonight. But I'm talking about how do we become a Jesus follower with our worship? Because our worship is not just the songs that we sing. It's the life that we live. Now let me qualify something because I preached this message in our Ilkeston campus and there were some very, very kind people. And I was stood with Paul having a chat and somebody came and said to us, you know, well, that's all well and good, but John 10.10 says that Jesus came to give his life and life in all of its fullness. And Paul and I both said, yeah, we understand that. But I guess what, we, what I try to do and what I want to do this evening is just address, again, an imbalance. Yeah. I am not saying in anything that you're going to hear tonight that Jesus doesn't want to bless us. He does want to bless us. He wants to, us to enjoy a good life. He wants to give good gifts to his children. He really does. The things that you enjoy, the homes that you live in, the cars that you drive, the holidays that you're able to have, the clothes that you wear, your family, they're all gifts from God. And aren't they wonderful gifts? They are gifts from God. The food that we eat, that you can enjoy at supper time, they're gifts from God. We want you to enjoy those. But what we want to address is the imbalance that oftentimes those gifts become things that we worship. So I wonder if you're turning your Bibles to Exodus in chapter 20. Because in Exodus chapter 20, we'll see there, there's a verse of Scripture that many of us would be very familiar with from verse 1. And the reason why God gave these commandments to the people was because, unfortunately, over hundreds of years, they had wandered. They'd wandered from the statutes, the laws, the relationship of God. They've wandered far from it. Once they were God's people and now they were just doing their own thing. God was grieved by this and he knew that he needed to establish a law. He needed to establish some principles that would help the people to live in accordance to his requirements and they're called the Ten Commandments. Even if we've never been in church, we would be familiar with one or two of those commandments, one or two of those things. They used to be taught in the schools, not so much now. They used to be the bedrock of this society. Unfortunately, that would not be the case. And they used to be the bedrock of the church. But again, I have to confess, there are numbers of churches that I walk into. And this is not sat in judgment. It's almost like they're contrary to what the Bible has to say. And we see here these Ten Commandments. Now, you'll be glad to know I'm not going to be talking about all ten, but I want to address the first two as we look at Jesus following in our worship. And it reads, And God spoke all these words. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let me just stop there before I say. So the first thing he's saying, I am. I am Yahweh. That is my name. 
I am the Lord. I am highly exalted. I am the one who you need to be looking to. You don't need to be looking to all these other things. I am. I am. When the I am is in your life, you don't need to worry about anything. And he then goes on to say, the second thing is, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's go to verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Now this jealous, that I uh, didn't address this, this this morning, this thought of jealousy, jealousy is never good. In fact, it's part of the list that we shouldn't live with. But he's not talking about a jealousy that's rooted in uh, uh, ugliness and uh, like a, a, a controlling. This is just a, a jealousy that's almost, it's pure. It's just a love for his people. Uh, he, he wants to... God wants to be your God. And he wants for, for him to become your Lord. Does that make sense? And, and, and this is what he's trying to get across to the people. And these commandments still apply today. So we see there the first one is, I am the Lord your God. I am. And the second thing is, you shall now have no other gods but me. And the reason why I had to address this is because they were making gods of animals and statues and carving them out of wood and stone and gold and precious silver. And they were bowing down and they were worshipping them. You may say, well, Christian, that's all well and good, but what application does that have to us here? I haven't got statues that I'm bowing down to and worshipping. I'm not like the Catholics who, you know, that's what they do and they have the statues and they bow down. I'm not, I've not come from a Hindu background or a Buddhist background where that's what they do. And by the way, I'm not having a pop at either of those groups because, again, I, I, I remember in Milton Keynes when we were ministering there numbers of years ago, I used to meet with the, 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 the priest of the parish and um, what a wonderful man. And he, he, he was full of the Holy Spirit and he used to, as we gathered for prayer, he would be the first one who would speak in tongues. I think he wanted to let me know that he was thoroughly Pentecostal. He loved Jesus with all of his heart. He had a passion to see, to, 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 for the gospel to, to spread out across Milton Keynes and beyond. He was a wonderful man of God. I don't understand why they bow down and, you know, worship the way that they worship. But what I know about many, many Catholics, and of course, Andy comes from this kind of background, and numbers of you here do. What I know is there's so many, many good people, wonderful people who know Jesus with all of their hearts. But I'm not knocking them per se. What I'm trying to address is the whole thought of what they worship. And we may say, well, I'm not that. That's possibly true. But many of us, if not all of us, Continue to do the thing that God commanded us not to do by bowing down to other idols because we bow down and worship and we are consumed by other things. We're consumed by other things that are in our lives. It may not be in the form of a, of a statue. It may not be in the form of an animal. It may not be a carbon, golden statue that we've created. But we create 
Things in our lives that we worship more than God. You see, I don't believe the the greatest danger to Christianity is Islam. I really don't. I don't believe the greatest danger is liberalism. You know, there's certainly, there is a, you know, a, uh, I have to say this, a gay agenda that seems to be popping its head up and trying to create turmoil and difficulty for the church. There's challenges in all of that. There's challenges with Islam. There's certainly a threat. It poses a great threat. We had to work through, even recently, uh, Paul and has taken that on with, with some of the elders of working through what does it look like for us to have the threat against churches. You know, there is the threat in the UK. There's been a paper from the Home Office that's been, we've, we've had to work through. We understand we're not stupid to say that that is not a threat. But the greatest threat, the greatest threat is materialism. The greatest threat to being a Jesus follower is that of materialism. And that is the worship of what we own and the worship of of what we want. So we worship what we have and we're so consumed by what we want that that becomes the sole focus of our attention. And if we're going to be Jesus followers, if we're going to see Mansfield touched, if we're going to see Mansfield changed, it's going to need to be a different spirit that is in the people of God. Can I hear an amen? A difference that, that, that we push aside those things And we're not focusing on those things. We see them as gifts of God that we enjoy. But that is not our sole attention and our focus. They're not the things that we're going to worship. We're going to worship King Jesus because he's worthy of all praise and worthy of all honor. You see, many of us have been, and if you're here tonight, this could be a very challenging word. Because many of us in in our lives, and I'll come on to tell a little bit of a story of my story There have been times when I have been consumed by other things other than Jesus. But there was a survey done in 1992. I'm mindful of the fact, 1992, that some of you weren't even born in 1992. You really do feel very old, don't you, when that starts to happen. But in this survey that was was conducted in, in the US of A, they asked the question, how much would people need to earn to have the American dream, to have it all? And those who were earning $25,000 or less thought that they, if they could just earn $54,000, then they'd have the American dream. And those who were earning $100,000 said that if they could just earn $192,000 a year, they would have the American dream. You see, these figures indicate that we typically, typically think we would have to double our income in order to find the good life. You know, and the problem is in church, we've, 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 we've just, we've swallowed the pill. And we've believed this because we've thought that money and possessions are the source of happiness. And they're not. Because 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 and verse 7 says this. Paul says to Timothy, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world And we can take nothing out of it. And we all know those verses, yet we live completely different. You see, contented people are irresistibly attractive. My grandma, she was raised, she was born and raised here in Mansfield, in this town. And her husband, unfortunately, died at the age of 40, suddenly with a brain tumor, cancer of the brain. 
And uh, I, never, I never knew him, but I knew my grand, I knew my nonna, and there's two of her daughters here this evening, my mom and my auntie. And when I think about contentment and how it's irresistible, my mind as I was preparing this message went straight to my nonna. She was irres- irresistibly attractive. I remember one occasion when I was getting tall, I'd had a growth spurt, and I once turned around to her and said, I'm now getting bigger than you. I'd never, ever would have touched. I loved my grandma. But I was getting probably a little bit too big for my boots, and I said to her, I'm now getting too big for a good item. And she turned around, and she didn't mean to, and she knocked me, and I went straight over the chair. She was only five foot nothing, you know, but, you know, she was just a, there was a feistiness to her, but there was a contentment to her. She didn't have a lot. She didn't have a lot. But what she had was contentment in bucket loads. The worship of God was more important to her than the worship of homes and cars and phones and computers. They didn't have computers and phones and all that when she was alive. She was content. She was a Jesus follower. She was a Jesus follower. Again, my mind, I don't want to get all nostalgic. We went to a funeral. You know, some funerals, you're trying to drag as many people there. I want to tell you, that church was full to overflowing. And it was a long, it felt like a long service because there was a lot of tributes. From a lady who never stood on a platform, would never have any interest in standing on a platform, was always in the background. But there was something about her that was irresistible. She was a Jesus follower. This is what I'm talking about, church. I'm talking about us being Jesus followers and we become content with what we have because unfortunately many of us are not content with what we have. In fact, there's a, a, a picture that's going to go up on the screen and it's going to show a 20-pound note. And on this 20-pound note, there are some words around it. I wonder if we could, after three, read these words together. One, two, three. Now, for some of you, that's not true. But for others, that could be true. And notice, I'm not using this message outside the church. I'm addressing it inside the church. Because for many of us, this could have been the story of our life, that I'm a piece of paper and I control your life. We're more concerned with the worship of what we have than we are about worshiping Jesus. You see, some of us aren't just controlled by this. Some people worship this. I remember the time that I, the only time I've ever had a new car, I'm going to sound incredibly sad, but I dreamed about this car. It was my dream car. Remember what I started with. I've not got a problem if you've got a nice car. I really haven't. There's numbers of you in the church. Got lovely cars. Beautiful. No problem. But with me, in this particular instance, I dreamed about this car. I read up on it. I looked online. I went throughout my day thinking about it. I remember placing the order. And I was even better because I'd really drove the car salesman down. Sorry if you're a car salesman. But I always love it when I really get a good deal. And I really drove him down. I mean, really drove him down. 
which made it even more lovely. Come on, you've got to go with me on this. It was just terrific. I loved it. I remember the night before going to sleep, thinking about it. I'm not even sure I had a lot of sleep that night. But here's the point. I probably spent more time that month thinking about that car than I did about Jesus. I probably spent more time talking to people about the new car than I did testifying, witnessing about Jesus. I was worshipping the car. A piece of metal. How sad. But, like I said, before you consign me to the saddo bin and the loser, loser, okay, can I ask you a question? What are you thinking most about? What consumes your day? What are you pursuing? What idols, what possessions are you pursuing? pursuing? Because they come in all shapes and sizes. Before some of you say, oh, no, I'm not interested in cars. They don't do me. But you might be into new dresses. And I'm talking to the ladies now, okay, not the men. Okay. And those new leather boots. Oh, have you seen them for the winter section? I've got to have these new leather boots. Oh, they're just gorgeous. We went to Zara. They were terrific. Oh, how gorgeous. I hear all the language. Some people, they're so consumed by that new phone, that mobile phone that does everything other than making a cup of tea in the morning. It's amazing what it does. We dream about the new house. Oh, this new house, so we're going to do this and do that and do the other. And we become consumed by those things. Listen to me. I'm not saying we can't enjoy gifts from God. But as soon as our focus, our attention, our worship goes off Jesus onto those things, Houston, we have a problem. And this is what Jesus is wanting to address in every one of us tonight. You may say, well, that never happens to me. I've seen many churches who are worshipping the wrong things. Let me give you an understanding of this. There are some churches that worship worship. They're so into this. There's some guys, thankfully our guys are not this. They're genuinely not. I've been around them. The musicians, but they're just so into it. I remember one church, he was so gifted in his guitar. I just thought to myself, will you please shut up? You're getting on my flipping nerves now. Because it was not about Jesus. It was all about. He thought he was Eric Clapton, Jonathan. They worship the worship. Some churches, they worship the preacher. I can tell that isn't the case tonight, okay? I really can tell that. They worship, oh, our preacher, our leader, our pastor. And they're worshiping. As soon as we begin to worship man, we are in big trouble because they will fall. They're feet of clay. If you think that I'm perfect, please don't think that I'm perfect. Please do not put me or Stephen or whoever on a pedestal. We will fall quicker than you can sneeze. And I'm not talking about morally. I'm just, we'll get it wrong. We'll do something. Because we're human. Some people worship a building. 
I remember saying to Paul at the elders meeting when we was looking to purchase this, one of the questions is, Lord, I don't want to get into it if this is going to become all about the building. I said, Paul, this will never become about the building. We thank God for this building. We want to look after this building. We want this building to represent Jesus well. But this is not a shrine. This is just a big trawler boat to go fishing from. This will give us opportunity to reach more people. Can I hear a big amen? We'll never worship the building. And some people do. They worship a tradition. They worship a philosophy of ministry. Some people even worship the ministry. Oh my goodness. There's only one thing we're called to worship. And his name is Jesus. His name is the name that is above all other names. And at his name every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is. He's the only one who's worthy of praise and of honor and glory. Not a Volvo XC90. Not your dream holiday. Not your new house. Not your church building. Not your church ministry. Only Jesus. He's the one that's worth worshiping. He's the one that's worth adoring. And I tell you what. If we will begin to worship Jesus like he asked us to, I'll tell you, something will happen in us and something will happen in us that will become irresistible to the world outside there because we'll live with a contentment. And contentment is irresistible. And people will ask of us, what is it about you that's different? What is it? So we need to take our eyes off those things that we see that we have, and we need to look towards him. Five things very quickly. I'm not going to even give you lots of detail, but I want to give you five bullet points. That if we're going to keep and stay free from this, and I'd encourage you, I wouldn't normally say this, but just to listen to the podcast again, or even come and get these notes, these points here, just to make sure that we just keep and stay free in this important area of who we worship. Because it's so easy for us to drift. It's so, so easy. The first thing is this. If we're going to be lovers of Jesus and worshippers of Jesus day by day, we have to remember all that we have is given from God. If you think you're bright and you're clever and you're attractive and you're intelligent and that's why you've got all you've got, I want to tell you it's utter rubbish. All you have is from God. It's a gift from God. It's His grace. All that we have and all that we hope to be is because of Him. I'd love to say it's because of my charisma and my attractiveness and all that. I know that's utter rubbish. All that we have is from him. All that we have is from him. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 through to 8 in the message says this. For who do you know that really knows you, knows your heart? And even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are? Sheer gifts from God? Absolutely. So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? You already have all you need. All you have is from God. Number two, he can give it and he can take it. Job, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, shows us this, that I always seem to have it all. He had it all. God came and tested him. And he still praised him. And God took it. And what was interesting about that is he continued, even through all the, you've got to read the story, the ups and downs and the heartache and the pain. 
because he continued to look to God. God ultimately restored and gave him back what it was taken from him in the test. Listen to me, friend. All that we have is from God, and God can give it. God can take it. And if you feel like he's taken from you at this this moment, I want to tell you, if you're in a moment where it's painful and difficult and challenging, you're in, you're in for something incredible. Because when that happens to you, God's about to open another big door. Can I hear an amen? I'm telling you, I'm telling you with all my heart, I know it to be true when you go through a time of testing and if you'll just keep considering pure joy and keep rejoicing and keep blessing the name of the Lord, then I want to tell you, it'll open a doorway that will just lead into another doorway that's going to be incredibly blessed in Jesus' name. Number three, our responsibility is to use what we have been given for the service of others. This will keep our eyes firmly fixed on who we worship when we say, you know, what I have is not mine. It's there to be used. So if you've been blessed with a house, open up the doors. If you've been blessed with a car, use it to collect people. If you've been blessed with more than enough food, share it with others. If you've been blessed, whatever you've been blessed with, use it for the service of others. I want to tell you that I've seen every single time where people have been blessed and they've used it for the service of others. They've been like a conduit. It just almost like it's irresistible from heaven. What happens is they give out, they get even more. It just what happens. But when I've seen people blessed and then they've withhold and kept back, what it is, it almost, almost like it's put a dam to that blessing. There's a stop that happens to that blessing. It's only as they release it again. There's, there's, there's a flow that happens. Are you understanding me? May we use what we've been given for the service of others. Number four, don't become a master to what man has created. You see, we picture idolatry as the worship of something evil. However, most of our idols are good servants that we have made lords. Don't become a master to what man has created. And fifthly, if we want to live free in this area of worshiping Jesus and not worshiping those other things, may we continue to look to eternity. Listen to this phrase. This is so, so important. This phrase. What we do now echoes in eternity. It echoes in eternity. What you do with your life tomorrow, today, this week, counts. As the children of God, we will have to bring an account to what we did with what we were given. How we stewarded what we were given. Our resource, our influence. We will have to give an account. And I want to make sure that I've got my eye on eternity. That when I do get before, stand before God, that I actually stewarded my influence well and not selfishly. That my eye is on eternity and not just here. The Bible says this, Jesus says this. Don't stare up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's clear that there is a storehouse that we can add to in heaven. And let me tell you, this is not a message about money. This is a message about worship. But the things that we have, we can't take with us. I remember 
reading and, and studying it at school about the Egyptian um, kings and how they would have all their riches and all their gold. Yes, when they died and it was all stored with them because they wanted to take it with them. And what did they find hundreds and thousands of years later? Help me out. It's still there. Where they were going, they couldn't take it with them. May we make sure that we steward our resource well. May our eyes be on eternity. May we recognize that all that we have is from God. May we also remember that he can give and he can take it away. But may we continue to focus our thoughts, our attention, our worship upon Jesus. I wonder if the guys would come. I'm going to ask Stephen to just in a moment lead us through the appeal and just lead us to the end of the service. But I just want to read these verses to you just as they come. And they're found in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8 and verse 5 and 6. And as I was studying this, they summed up so beautifully what I really wanted to say this evening. Listen to these words. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5 and 6. Paul is writing to this church and he says this, there may be so-called gods, small g gods, both in heaven and on earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Can I encourage each and every one of us to be a Jesus follower in the things that we worship And may we only worship Jesus. May we not worship our husband and our wife. May we not worship our kids. May we not worship our possessions. Even though we love those things. May we only worship Jesus. And as we do that, God will do incredible things in and through our lives. May God bless you. Thank you, Stephen.